Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Good evening and welcome to the show. Well, if Russian President Vladimir Putin goes full sociopath and decides to widen his war in Ukraine to other parts of Europe, which, by the way, the, military, the Western military industrial complex seems to want him to do, Europe could well be screwed. A story from the front page of The Telegraph of London this week reveals that Europe's leadership is so blinded by its own ideology that it has forgotten what is important, not only to its own people, but to their nemesis, Putin, as well. The Telegraph reported that Britain has partnered up with the European Union to protect what they think is their key infrastructure in a potential war with Russia. What would that be? Their houses of parliament, airports, banks, ports? No, it's their, it's their windmills. German Chancellor Olaf Scholz said, we need to effectively protect our offshore industry. The EU and NATO play an important role. Meanwhile, British Energy Security Secretary, and yes, there is someone in the British government with, a, with that title, a bloke by the name of Grant Shapps told The Telegraph that, quote, we are increasing international cooperation. We are reviewing measures, including drones. Well, apparently Putin would want to attack these things as retaliation for the sabotaging of Russia's Nord Stream pipeline in the Baltic Sea in November, for which nobody has, voluntarily or otherwise, been identified as the culprit. The fact that the windmills are spread out over hundreds of square kilometres of ocean, so are not exactly low-hanging fruit to a military strategist, hasn't occurred to them. But what also hasn't occurred to them is that taking out the windmills would be doing Britain and Europe a favour. These things are expensive and unreliable, forcing ordinary Brits to pay more for heating their homes than if their government had built gas, coal or nuclear powered generators instead, which is what the British government would be quickly forced to do in the event that Russia destroyed the windmills. So no, Putin has easier, more effective targets 
than a bunch of stupid windmills if he wants to hurt Britain and Western Europe. At the start of this war, conservatives shared memes on social media saying that Putin, who understands the strategic and economic significance of real energy resources like gas and oil, was never going to invade Europe to seize its solar panels and windmills. The reason is simple. They are useless ways in which to power a modern economy. But what was a joke a year ago is now a serious policy to the deluded incompetence in London and Brussels. This should be a gift to Australian Energy Minister Chris Bowen. At a time when Europe is poised to go to war over energy resources, when energy prices around the world are skyrocketing, crippling economies and forcing families into energy poverty, Bowen could, if he wanted, hold a press conference today announcing a massive expansion in Australia of gas and coal extraction to make the nation immune to the energy inflation that less resource-rich nations are being forced to endure. But instead, he is pursuing the same insanity as Britain and Europe. Last December, he imposed a price cap on gas for the domestic market, saying that resource companies were taking advantage of inflated prices to gouge domestic customers. The gas industry was not impressed. Uh, this argument really goes to say we believe we need profits as high as we can get during a war, during a global energy crisis for our industry to be viable. Nobody's going to believe that, Kieran, because it's not true. 96% of gas last year sold for under $12. The average price was $9.20 a gigajoule. And for anybody to argue that they need to be able to make more than $12 and double that, is just ridiculous and I don't think that argument's going to hold any water and I'm surprised that Peter Dutton's bought that argument. It shows that he just doesn't understand the issues in the energy market. Um, this is Australian gas under Australian soil and Australians should pay a fair price for that but they shouldn't be uh, paying a wartime price, a wartime price leading to very high profits for a few companies. Well, that price cap that was introduced in December was extended this week until 2025, which coincidentally is when the next federal election is due. The price cap is a disincentive for gas producers to expand production, which in the long term is what the nation desperately needs. As one executive told the Australian's Eric Johnston this week, quote, Governments across the board, state and federal, have had a dysfunctional policy with respect to energy development in Australia, and that has led to the high domestic gas prices. The war in Ukraine is only a small fraction of the problem, yet that is the rationale that the government is using for the intervention. Well, to cap it off, Bowen has also announced Australia's first national electric vehicle strategy, which is predicated on what he euphemistically calls fuel efficiency standards, which in fact are laws that make it more and more difficult for you to not choose an expensive electric car that takes hours to recharge, 
and is prone to burst into inextinguishable flames. He sold that policy by saying this, quote, Fuel efficiency standards are standards which outline how much pollution, or specifically carbon dioxide, a car will produce when it's running. Well, did you notice the caveat? When it's running. Never mind the fuel efficiency standards when it's recharging. Those standards don't count because when you plug in an electric car to recharge, you don't smell fumes. And Bowen thinks you are too stupid to realise that the energy being stored in the car's battery is from a coal-fired generator somewhere outside the city. In his book, Fossil Future, Why Global Human Flourishing Requires More Oil, Coal and Natural Gas, Not Less, author Alex Epstein says the energy density of petrol is 53 times that of the battery in an electric car. And not only that, an internal combustion engine only produces energy at the very moment you need it, which is when you press down on the accelerator. An electric car, meanwhile, runs on energy generated tens or even hundreds of kilometres away, which is then transported on wires that shed some of the energy and is stored in a relatively inefficient battery. You couldn't imagine a less efficient way to power a car. But Bowen thinks this is the technology of the future. How easy would it be for a federal opposition to ridicule Bowen's mad plans and point out that he is destroying Australia's prosperity? The prosperity on which we all rely in order to raise our kids and enjoy life. But for the most part, the coalition opposition has ignored this, even while the government's policies destroy industries and raise the cost of living. All of this madness can be traced back to the idea of net zero by 2050, a suicidal policy that the coalition supports Peter Dutton gives the impression of being fundamentally conservative and has promised a suite of policies that reflect this before the next federal election. But there is one part of this delayed strategy that may well doom it to failure. While Dutton waits to reveal his true conservative agenda, people are reportedly leaving the Liberal Party in droves. Selection processes for candidates are being manipulated so that lobby groups can install factional hacks to do their bidding in Parliament, ignoring the interests of the party's rank and file. Dutton may well proffer an attractive case for election in 2025, but unless he can rely on an army of grassroots supporters to hand out how-to-vote cards on election day, he won't stand a chance. One of those disillusioned former members is Mark White, a small business owner from Sydney and typical middle-class liberal who has been a, a party supporter for 50 years and for 20 of those a member. He served as vice president of the Lane Cove branch and was on a few occasions over the years asked if he would like to try out for pre-selection. 
His resignation letter submitted this week accused the party of being dominated by factions that have leftist leanings and is now, quote, indistinguishable from the party founder of, of founder Robert Menzies. Mark joins me now. Mark, welcome. Good morning. Well, good, good evening, it will be. Yes. How are you? <laughs> well, firstly, uh, nice, nice uh, taste in shirts, mate. It looks like we've uh, been shopping at the same uh, boutiques, but uh, getting, Ma getting, maybe. <laughs> but getting yeah. to the point, I think we will agree that Australia, uh, firstly, we will, I'm sure, agree that Australia does need a strong Liberal Party or at least a legitimate opposition of some kind. Now, if the Liberal Party continues to diminish, Australia itself will be a lot worse off. Do you fear an Australia dominated by the Labor Party? Yes, Fred. The, the, the nation definitely needs a large or larger centre-right party to challenge socialism in Australia and everything it stands for because it's a failed model, basically. Um, but the Liberal Party has uh, been fit for purpose for that for uh, some decades now, uh, starting off with Sir Robert Menzies and many good leaders after that, many pretty poor leaders too, I'll say. Um, but of recent times, um, it's not really fit for purpose because the party's been infiltrated uh, by many, uh, we can call them leftists, socialists. Um, they have all sorts of names these days, Teals, but they're, they're all uh, left of centre. That's one thing for sure. Um, what's it, Mark, what's problem, motivating these people? Yeah. I mean, the, 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 po the most popular theory is that they are being, they're puppets of lobby groups who are being installed mm. to do the bidding of those lobby groups. Is that your theory about what's going on in the party? Yes, um, it, it, as in the practice of business, uh, Fred, if you can eliminate your competition, um, that, that is a fine uh, business model to work on um, to, uh, and that enables you to charge more profit. Um, unfortunately, it doesn't happen very often in the real business world. But in the political world, when you've got Labor on one side that's full of uh, people that, uh, who are some way, were some way intertwined into the global warming movement and renewables, and then, then they've infiltrated their, their former competitor uh, to do the same thing, uh, one has no hope. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you said that the party originally was designed to resist or, or offer an alternative to socialism, but the way you're describing it there is almost socialism anyway. I mean, if, 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 if there is a partnership between politics and the private sector that leads to uh, monopolies or somehow control over particular industries, then you wind up in the same place anyway, don't you? That is socialism. Yes, that, that, that is correct. And uh, the only difference is in the business world, that would be illegal. And um, directors would have handcuffs on and taken to a silver water or what, wherever. <laughs> but um, but, but uh, in, pol in politics, that doesn't happen. They, they become uh, left-wing heroes. And the Liberal Party is, uh, uh, has many of them. Now, for my personal part, I've always known in recent years, um, I was sharing with you a little story before when I first rejoined the party when, when I moved to Sydney many years ago, 
um, I went to the first branch meeting in a North Shore branch. And um, I was sitting there. I just rang the Liberal Party and said I wanted to rejoin and, and fight the, uh, the, the Kevin Rudd and Julia Gillard uh, fiasco on telly every night. And, and I went to the first meeting of the Liberal Party in a branch there. And, and I, after 10 minutes, I heard them all talking about global warming and uh, ABC TV and what's happening. And I got the invitation out of my pocket. I think I've come to the wrong place or something. And, and no, I, I was there. And, and uh, Th- thank, thank God that um, a few months after that, I was at, a, at an event over in Bellevue Hill. And uh, I went up and spoke to uh, Ross Cameron, who, uh, who was the speaker there, and he introduced me to one John Ruddick. And well, said, let's oh, get no, to- <laughs> there are still, that's there a, are well, still that's a real good conservatives to- left. Indeed, yeah. Mm. And you persevered for a while. Mm. We'll get to John Ruddick in a minute because that's where you're heading sure. next. Yeah, yeah. But um, you, you, so you persevered for a few years. You, there must have been some good people in the party uh, for you to, uh, you know, be immersed in. Um, what was it like inside the party as a member? What's the mood like, and how much has it changed? Are there any people good? Uh, any good people left in it? Yes, Fred. There's uh, there's a lot of good people left in it, but unfortunately. Uh, uh, those people are fading away because they attend branch meetings and all they hear is uh, a lot of this nonsense about the party's got to move to the left. And uh, they, they say, now, what about our values? What, what about we talk about small business? And that, isn't that a radical thing to talk about? Um, and uh, they, they're gradually just leaving and leaving slowly. There can I just pull you up? Can I just people. pull you up on there, yep. that, that Mark? This this this, sure. this uh, theory that the party needs to move to the left is a pretty flimsy mm. one. I mean, people like you and I know that there is a solid. Well, Menzies Forgotten People, uh, you know, one of the greatest demographics in Australian post-war history. Why, who are these people who are saying the Liberal Party needs to move to the left and on what evidence do they say it has to happen? Well, Fred, the usual suspects in the Liberal Party who promote this idea um, are the left-wing leaders. Uh, they standing like Malcolm Turnbull, who's gone now, but uh, a lot of them in the uh, state parliament. I'll mention one, Matt Keane, um, and a lot of others, you know. But they, they're still there. Yeah. And, uh, but but I, I was used to uh, taking the debate up to them and fighting them because base, basically the... Uh, the, the, the argument they put up is nonsense, and that's a reasonable, easy one to fight. Um, but where I have lost, I'm maybe going to your next question, I'm not sure, but where I've lost faith in the Liberal Party in taking that place as the, as the leader of the centre-right politics of Australia is when I started to witness many occasions of the right wing conservatives, including Dominic Perrottet, uh, making deals with the left wing faction, Matt, Matt Keane's faction. They even had a name for it. It's called the Unity Deals. And uh, I would call it the traitor deals or the sellout deals and selling out their own members who put them there. Um, and then I started to think to myself going to meetings and what have you or the recent campaign 
uh, I started looking around all the Liberal Party meetings I go to and rooms. I couldn't spot many small business people like me at all. They're all gone. Well, one or two around. So when um, you say but, that th um, this unity deal that you that you talk about, why made people why, leave? Yeah. Why do that? Yeah, made people like you leave, obviously. But mm. why are conservatives who should be standing by their principles prepared to make compromise deals with the alternative faction of the party? Why will they? Do, why are they doing that? Simple pecuniary interest. Full stop. Um, you could be dramatic in saying selling the, for the pieces of silver. Um, for instance, how on earth could a person, an MP like Dominic Perrottet, become leader when the, the factional numbers where the left of the party, the moderates, have overwhelming the numbers? Because Perrottet, along with others, had obviously made agreements with Matt Keane and people like that on policy matters um, to get where they are. And, and he wouldn't be Premier otherwise. And lo and behold, once he became Premier, we've, we've seen it all. We've seen everything, including his support for The Voice, uh, the, the global warming scam and everything else that came with it. Now, I'm just naming one person there, but there are many others uh, of, of a conservative nature in the Liberal Party who have also sold out. Yeah, well, just to just to play devil's advocate, I, I, if Perrottet were here, he'd probably say that the uh, objective is to remain in power, and to do that, uh, he needs to keep both sides of the party together. But that does lead me to my next question: You're leaving, or you have left? Why did you decide? Why did you decide that it was no longer possible to reform the party from within? I had decided some 12 months ago and with a lot of discussions uh, with a lot of other fellow Liberals and uh, presidents of branches and what have you, that we all agreed the party needs a total uh, uh, reorganisation. And we were saying 12 months ago that after the March election, um, we need to go through the party like with flames to get the cockroaches out of the corners and everything and, and get rid of them. But after the May election, what's happened is the uh, cockroaches survive a nuclear attack and, uh, and, or a nuclear bomb. And uh, they're all still there and they're all still fighting for the spoils and we're, we're seeing it with the delay in choosing a uh, deputy leader of the parliamentary party at the moment and all of that. So uh, I've given up hope. Uh, because it, it, the the so-called conservatives, that conservative members, the rank and file, have put in there and fought to get their pre-selections and put them there. Uh, most of them have no hope because they know that those um, conservative members of parliament, parliamentary representatives, will sell out to the left at the next turn. Uh, they do that to save their pre-selection get jobs, all these sort of things. Um, that, that's why they do it, the pecuniary interests. Well, um, the, the, I think, I, I think I the... I don't uh, believe it's salvageable. Right, okay, yeah. yeah. Well, the, the really unfortunate thing uh, is that people like yourself are leaving when there, there are actually still some very good uh, members of parliament for the Liberal Party. I mean, Tanya Davies is a good example, but uh, 
I'm not sure she she's put her hat in the One ring. One out of how many? Well, mm. they are in, they are increasingly in the minority. I can name a handful at the federal level as well. Do you think Robert Menzies, the founder and figurehead of the party, would still be in it today? Very good question. Um, he was a man of principle and a man of honour. Um, they're two things that don't exist a lot in politics these days, Fred. Um, I, I, he, he loved the Liberal Party. He formed it on the on the basis of for the forgotten people, the the middle class, the great middle class of Australia. And uh, but I think his heart would be totally broken. Whether he would leave or not, I'm not sure. Yeah. What issues he do you loved think? It. it was his. It well, was his baby. You know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, and some of the more successful. MPs of recent times feel the same. I mean, Tony Abbott's uh, loyalty to the party yes. is, uh, is, is un, uh, unshiftable. But, um, but mm. what issues do you think the party is letting down its uh, grassroots supporters? You've mentioned global warming. What, why is it, wh where is it uh, coming up short? Um, their attitude to, uh, that I had, I, I, I own and run a substantial um, sized trades business, a small to medium sized business. And uh, during uh, the uh, lockdowns and what have you, uh, that really affected our business. Of, you know, we weren't allowed to drive. I, my tradesmen who work for me, which quite a few do, they weren't allowed to drive to another suburb to carry out a job. And I brought all these issues up. I, I, I got sympathetic ears from local Liberal members of Parliament, one's a Cabinet Minister. And um, however, um, nothing happened. Their complete failure in the homeowner's warranty market that now adds on 10% 10, 10 to everything you, you have done on your apartment buildings. Um, and it's a useless insurance. Yeah. Um, and um, workers' compensation. There's all sorts of things that affect businesses. I, I find them, I wouldn't say anti-business, but they're not helpful. They're, they're, that's one area. Well, Labor... A big area. To, it is to me. Yeah. Well, I mean, Labor at both state and federal levels is doing, in my opinion, an abominable job in most instances, and uh, the destruction they are wreaking is clear for most people to see. Shouldn't, shouldn't Labor be an easy target for a bold opposition now? Why aren't they taking up the fight? Well, it's basically because of the, uh, the, the calibre of uh, members of parliament we have these days. They're nothing like the ones my, my Liberal Party experiences 10 years when I was young in Victoria, my home in Melbourne, or 10 years more recently, up until recently. And they're two different types of people. Uh, there are no more Jeff Kennets in uh, the state sphere who have no fear. They'll stand up for what's right and they'll prosecute it. There's no more Peter Costellos in the federal area uh, who will stand up and, God help us, sell, us a, sell a tax and win an election. You know, and know how to do it. No fear. Obviously, with John Howard, but it was Peter's baby. Um, there's no more people now. Now, I'm not. Don't want to take it away from Peter Dutton. I really like him, and I have a lot of faith in him. I just have no faith in a lot of the people that surround him. Mark, we've run out of time. Uh, just, but just okay. in passing, uh, we will mention that you're off to help the Liberal Democrats 
Uh, and, uh, That's right, I've joined. Latest, yeah. yeah, you're a member. And uh, its latest MP is John Ruddock, a regular guest on this show. But in the meantime, Mark, thanks so much for your time. My pleasure. Thank you for having me on, Fred. That's Mark White, one of the many former members of the Liberal Party who Peter Dutton will need to lure back if he wants to win the next election. Well, that's all from me tonight and for this week. Thanks for watching. Damien Khoury's The Other Side, which is an excellent summary of the week's news, is up next at 8pm. If you want to follow us on Twitter, you can find me at at Fred Paul, that's F-R-E-D-P-A-W-L-E, or follow ADH on at A-D-H-T-V-A-U-S. If you're looking for some of the best conservative commentary in the nation, go to ADH.TV or our app where you can watch loads of shows by Alexandra Marshall, Daisy Cousins, Lyle Shelton, David Flint, Nick Cater, and of course, the great Alan Jones, all on demand. Or find us wherever you get your podcasts. ADH is the new home for common sense commentary, and there is no shortage of things to comment about these days. I'll see you on Monday at seven o'clock. Good night.